And again, take up your Bibles and let's read from John, John chapter 14. We'll read 15 through 31 again, and then we'll pick up where we left off last week in verse 18. So always good to have our guest with us and uh, pray that uh, you'll be blessed by your time here with us today, worshiping our great God. Let's read God's word, inerrant, infallible, God's only word given to man, whereby we may know what we are to believe concerning God and what he has commanded us to do that we might be walking in his ways. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come to him, make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you'd have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures always. Let's pray to our God. Thank him for giving us his word. We do indeed thank you, Lord God Almighty, 
for stooping down and saving sinners, for giving us your word that we might know you, the one true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might have everlasting life. Thank you for your word that we might know how to live in a manner that is fitting for the name Christian. We pray that your spirit would illumine our minds, that you'd keep us alert, that you'd cause our minds to stay fixed, that this is your word coming to us. Thank you. We pray that you do all this for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The truth is that the Spirit works in us to will and to do his commandments. We find that all through the scriptures. We just saw it in Ezekiel 36 and again in Ezekiel 37. That's a message that just comes over and over in the word. The Spirit works in us to will and to do his commandments, his good pleasure. Last week we considered the first three verses here, 15 through 17. And there we saw that the Spirit of Christ works uniquely in the Christian life. There are things that the Spirit does in the life of God's people that he does not do in this world. We're going to learn in chapter 16 that he convicts the world. But we've already seen in this passage already that he not only convicts God's people, those for whom Christ died, Matthew 1, 21. He not only convicts us, but he convinces us and he brings us to Christ. He, he changes our heart. He gives us a heart of flesh versus a heart of stone. It's a different work that he does for the church than he does out in the world. Aren't you glad, though, that he does work in the world, restraining sin, we're told, as, as Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. If he were not at work restraining sin in this world, it'd be a far worse place than it is. And we already look around and we find it unbearable sometimes. Today, we're going to move on from the unique work of the Spirit in the Christian life versus the world. And we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit and how it objectifies itself, how, how it becomes objective in our life. Because, you know, I, I don't know, but I suspect that sometimes you, you kind of get to thinking about the Christian life and the work of the Holy Spirit as being something rather sub, subjective. You know, and, and you have people, well, I, I you know, I, I, I believe this, I feel this way, I, I think, I don't know. And all of a sudden it becomes subjective, and yet this passage tells us it's anything but subjective. There's a whole bunch of tangible concretes in this passage, in this work of the Holy Spirit that the Lord's giving for us and to us. So let's look at it. Notice the objective manner in which the Lord proceeds. I mean, he's already been very objective. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But then he says, I'll not leave you as orphans. Aren't you glad? Do you ever just pause? Do you reflect on this often? 
that you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, someone that the Spirit has worked in their heart, changed them, transformed them, brought them into the kingdom of Christ, the church of the living God, you're not an orphan. You're not on your own. Now, we live in an individualistic society, a culture that, that, that's largely set on making people individuals. I mean, that's the whole independent nature, right, of our country. And then we step back and we say, that's not the way God intends it. That's not the way God deals with his people. He doesn't want us being solo. He doesn't want us being on our own. He wants us in that corporate body, the church of the living God, I will not leave you as orphans. He's going to provide for us. He'll provide for us a family. Then he's going to provide for us all the things that we need in that family, the church of God. And then he says this. Out of this promise that he's not going to leave us as orphans, he he gives us the rationale for it. I will come to you. Now, if we just stopped reading right there, we could be greatly confused, couldn't we? Because he's already been talking in this chapter, and we've seen it before, that he's going away. That he's not going to be with them. He's going to the Father. And now he says, I'm going to come to you. And we have to think about that a moment and say, okay, so... What's he talking about here? He's, he said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. We saw last week the spirit of truth, the helper. Those are, those are terms that are used for Christ as well in the scriptures. And so when you, when you link that with the use of that particular word for another, it's not another of a different kind, it's another of the same kind. Like I'm a helper, he's going to be a helper. He's going to be an advocate, like I'm an advocate. He's going to be a mediator, like I'm a mediator. He's going to be the truth, like I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Spirit is just going to be doing my work for me here on this earth. Some have then just taken up there in verse 18 that when Jesus says, I'll come to you, he's referring to the spirit. And I don't think that's all that's going on there. I think he's, uh, well, F.F. Bruce put it this way. Let me read you a little quote from Bruce. I had it at the end of this, but I'll put it at the front. Every phase of his promised coming is embraced in this assurance, I'm coming. Now let me unpack that. Every phase. I do think he's referring to the Spirit. Elsewhere, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ in our lives. But Jesus is also going to come to them in those 40 days after the resurrection. 
And then he's also going to come at the end. As we've seen already in John chapter 5, they would have known that. He's going to come again on that great day of judgment when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, when the dead will be raised, the glorified bodies given. There'll be the, the purging, there'll be the, the, the sheep that'll be given their new glorified bodies into the new heavens and new earth. There'll be the goats cast forever into the pit of hell. And I think what Christ is saying here that makes the most of this passage is it's a reference to the spirit of Christ who will be with you so you won't be orphans. It's a reference to his 40-day sojourn with him after the resurrection in his glorified body. But it also encompasses his final coming so that we have the hope, the final hope that he is going to be our Christ and we're going to be his people forever. It's all of that. See, if it were just about his, his second coming, that wouldn't be a lot of comfort. I mean, they'd still be without him. For an indefinite period of time, they don't know how long. But if it's not about his second coming, which is our ultimate hope, then the lesser aspects of this, the spirit and the 40-day period, wouldn't be as meaningful. So all that's, all that's infused with hope because he is coming the second time. But in the, in, in the meantime, the spirit of Christ is going to be dwelling with him. I come to you. Then he assures them of something else that's concrete. Not only concrete that he's going to come to them, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. He's... He's referring to the crucifixion and then the ascension. And then he goes into this, you're going to see me though. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you and me and I in you. So he's talking about ultimately the resurrection and the ascension. And yet he says... You're, you're going to be with me. You'll see me. Now, what's he talking about? They're no longer going to see him physically. But they will be seeing him just as really through faith. You know, we forget sometimes. Faith has a real object. And that real object is the Lord Jesus Christ. And though he's ascended to heaven, seated at the throne with his father, he's as real as he was to them on this earth. He's the living and true God. Sometimes... We fall into the trap, do we not? This spiritual life we live is something, you know, it's kind of, kind of spooky. It's kind of, we don't know. And yet everything about the scripture is that we do know. 
fact, we're going to see that in a moment in verse 20. In that day, you will know. You won't guess. You won't feel. You will know. Let's go back to the beginning. What's John about? All these things are written so that you might believe. That you might know the one true God and his son Jesus Christ. That's where eternal life is. That you might know. And here he says you're going to know that I'm in the Father. Now how can we know that he's in the Father? We can't see into the heavens. We can't see him seated with the Father on the throne. But we know through faith. We know because he told us so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We know it. It's just as real. In fact, you know, there are, there are aspects of our knowing Christ, knowing God the Father, knowing the Holy Spirit, that's more real to us than things that are concrete and living and breathing on this earth. You can probably think of a few things in this world that you know, based on reading and books, exist. But there's no reality of having seen them or been there or touching them. I mean, for instance, in my case, I've seen the I've seen the pyramids in books. But my grandfather never believed they went to the moon because he didn't see it with his eyes. He said if they could, if they could put up those simulations on TV, they could have simulated the whole thing. Now, I'm making a point here. My grandfather, I think, was wrong. But because he had not been there, it was not real to him, but Jesus was real to him through faith. He knew he was with the Father. He knew the Father was in Christ, and he knew that Christ was in us, and so we're in Father. And it's all because the Holy Spirit had been given to work in us. He assures them he's going to the cross. He's going to ascend to the Father. You won't, you won't see his physical body, but you will see me. And because I live, you will also live. And by the way, they see him after he's gone to the Father. And yet Jesus puts this in the present tense. Like it's, it's right now and it's it's going to continue this way. Just like you're seeing me now, you'll see me with the Father, even not with your naked eyes. It's remarkable to think about. He says, because I live, you also will certainly live. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you live? Are you just getting by? You're living for the world or are you living for Christ? Jesus says, because I live, you will live. Christ doesn't live for this world. Christ doesn't live for Friday. Christ doesn't live for retirement. Christ is living eternally, and we're supposed to be living that way too. We know it's certain because the Bible tells us, because Jesus told us. You might say, well, still, that doesn't, that's still not real objective. That still sounds more spiritual, subjective. Yeah, but notice what he does in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. All of a sudden, he concretes it, doesn't he? You want to know that the Spirit's with you? You want to know that Christ is ascended on the throne with the Father? You want to know that? Keep my commandments. If you do that, you're the one who loves me. And if you love me, you'll be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. All of a sudden, the doing is part of the knowing. Keep my commandments. That's how... That's how you know the truth. I can understand. I can understand people who profess to be Christians. And then this Bible perhaps is never open. You don't have any clue what God's saying. And you could wonder if all this is real. I can get that. I can understand why people live in doubt. Because they don't read the book, therefore they don't know what to do. See, here's this something special that takes place. When we obey God, the spirit of the living God witnesses to our spirit that we're his children. Romans chapter 8 tells us that. Interestingly, Paul doesn't try to explain that to us. He just says it. This is the truth. Charles Hodge, the great Princetonian, commenting on that said, and how is that? I don't know. But it's real. It's just as real to the Christian who's been truly regenerate, who's truly believed, who's truly walking in the spirit. It's as real to him as each of you, in my view, are to me right now. That's what Jesus is saying. You really want to understand? So he took him right back up to verse 15, didn't he? And he repeats it and adds on to it a little bit. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then he adds, he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Those of you who have godly parents, isn't it wonderful? The love that you know 
you have from them for you. Some of you children sitting here, and don't tell me it's not true because I know your parents, I know they love you. Isn't it wonderful? I can still remember. I'm not so old that I cannot remember going to bed at night, snuggling up in the bed and just sighing this big sigh of relief and just thanking God that my mama and my daddy love me. I knew they did, even though they weren't in the room with me. Sometimes still, my prayer, my thanksgiving to the Lord is that I had godly moms and dad, a mom and dad, I didn't have multiple moms, I had a godly mom and dad that loved me and gave me a godly heritage. We were at, Carol went with me to a family reunion yesterday down in Alabama, in Boaz, Alabama. If you've never been there, it's okay, no reason to. But there was a reason for me to go. And uh, they asked me to pray for the mill. And one of the things I said in that, in that prayer was that as we gathered there, we were gathered there because of the godly heritage of Warren and Francis Hilly, Paw and Granny. I'm still thankful for Paul and Granny, even though they're in heaven with Christ, with the Father, and I'm here on earth with Christ and the Father because of the work of the Spirit. And their love for me is just as real now as it was then. And it's still having effect on me now like it did then. That's what Jesus is getting through to us here. Just read it again. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, that brings us to this question that Judas raises. Notice he, John tells us, is not Iscariot, because remember, Judas has already gone. He's out there handing out the silver. This is Judas, who's, who's, who, who we're, we're told who he is in Luke 6, 16 and Acts 1, 13. Judas, the son of James. He's probably the Thaddeus that's listed in one of the portions in the Gospels when it discusses the disciples. He's sitting there. And he's listening. And this is the one thing that's caught his attention, apparently. And we've seen this before with the disciples, haven't we? Jesus is just, man, this stuff is coming like, a, like rapid fire. And all of a sudden, they, they, there's this one thing that, what? And this happens to all of us. I know it used to happen to me. It happens to you sometimes. You're sitting here and I say something. You look back at the scripture and you're reading along. And that's all you're, that's all you're fixed on. It's easy to happen. And he says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not 
to the world. So all of a sudden, he's hopped back up to verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's what got his attention. And that's what he's been thinking about. And he wants to know about that. How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? He doesn't quite understand what's happened that's going to change the way you've been doing it and the world can see you. Well, of course, what's changing is he's going to the cross and he's going to ascend back to the Father. So he's just told them. But it's tough, isn't it? And we're talking finite, infinite here. We're talking by sight and by faith here. But notice how Jesus responds. And it, 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 John doesn't leave any question mark. He says, Jesus answered him. This is the answer to the question. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So Jesus says, here's how I'm going to manifest myself to you. Through you keeping my word. And when you do that, out of love, if you love me, you'll keep my word. My father will love you and we will come to you. We'll make our home with you. You say, but that doesn't answer the part about the world. He says, he does that next, doesn't he? Whoever does not love me does not keep my words And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's. The world doesn't hear his word, and the world doesn't keep his word. That's why he won't be manifest to them. Once he ascends, he won't be be obvious to them. He won't be present with them. He won't be visible to them. And it's their fault. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. It's back to if we want to know him, if we want to enjoy him, if we want to live, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. No keeping the commandments, no living with Christ. No keeping the commandments, no knowing Christ. You say, but I thought it came through faith. It does. But faith encompasses obedience. Faith produces a love in us for Christ, and that love is manifested with our obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That's the objectivity of the Christian life. That's how the whole world can see us and know us. 
That's how we know one another, isn't it? That's how we know one another. We know we love Christ when we obey him. When we keep his commands. Well, next week we'll look at verses 25 through 31. And there we get more about this work of the helper of the Holy Spirit. But let me... Let me draw your attention as we close to something that the Lord said to the church at Thyatira, or at Laodicea, rather, in chapter 3. This, is a, this is a, includes a verse that's been widely misused. It's been used as an evangelistic verse, and it's got nothing to do with it. It's written to the church. It's written to the church that's been called to persevere. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whose door? Those whom he loves. Those whom he's disciplining. You can go to Hebrews and we learn that he disciplines his Children. He doesn't discipline other people's children. His children. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I read that quickly, I realize, as quick as my southern tongue will read. You may want to go home and read that and ponder that. But isn't that exactly what Jesus has just said in more words? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if, if, if you Christians whom I love and discipline, Open the door. I will come in and dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne. See, it's all about our communion with the triune God. And his knocking is, here, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you don't, you need to be zealous and repent. And this is the Spirit speaking to the church. All of that is just a wonderful summary of those verses we just read. Jesus distills it down with this call upon the heart of every member of his church to repent and to commune with him. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We ask now that you bless the reading, the hearing, the preaching of your word. That you would save the lost, any who are pretending, any who are playing the part, that you would bring them to salvation so that this would be their life. The spirit working in them, that they would quit living as orphans, separated from the flock, that they would keep the commandments, that they would show their love to the Father 
and so enjoy the communion of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May the Spirit do it for us. In Jesus' name, amen.